You're listening to the Our Eerie Podcast with Devonna Paisley, Marty Wachuku, and Lydia Laith. We're here to highlight community voices and bring new perspectives to the table. We are unpacking Eerie's and America's baggage. We're speaking truth to power. Take a seat. Growing up, my dad, uh, all through school, he always used to talk about how like, do what you love. He used to say, do what you love and you'll do it well. And if you do something well, you'll be compensated for it. And and that was always his mantra. And so when I got into college, it was never about, I mean, I still had to like choose a major as part of like the process, but, but he was never concerned about like, oh, well, what's that major going to get you? Or like, what are you going to do with that? His, his, his mentality was always do what you love. And then you'll find a way to to parlay that into a job because you'll care about this topic or that what you're doing so much that like, you'll find a way to make it work. Um, and I feel like that really liberated me from feeling like I had to like have a plan for what exact job I was going to do. But I feel like that's not how the system is made <laughs> to make kids feel. Um, like we were just talking about earlier that, you know, kids in high school are already trying to like choose what trade they're going into. And like, it's great that they're getting those experiences. And I don't think enough kids are getting those experiences, but like what kid at 16 knows exactly what they want to do or what world they're entering as adults. I agree. And it's funny when I first went, I'm sorry, go ahead, Marty. I was going to say, I actually had the opposite end of the um, experience where my parents um, being immigrants were like, okay, we came to this country for you to be successful. And to be successful means either being in the medical field you have choices in the medical field, but you're going into the medical field. You can be a doctor, you can be a pharmacist, you can be a nurse, but you're going into the medical field. And as a young kid who didn't like the math, the mathematics, um, and having only family who were in the medical field, I thought my options were limited. And, you know, graduating from high school and still wanting to please my parents, I was like, okay, if I'm not going to be a doctor, what am I good at that I can do that could be at that level. And I decided that I was going to be a lawyer. Um, and then I went to Edinburgh and I studied history and I did an internship with a lawyer that I had a connection to. Someone connected me to this lawyer and I got to see what they do and decided I did not want to do that. Um, but outside of like schools influence and culture, there's also like the pressure from your parents to like do this thing that they want you to be successful. This country is so hard. The only way you can be successful in this country is to have certain jobs. So yeah, that was my experience growing up. Wow. College was definitely significant for my family. Like my dad, I believe, went to a uh, technical school in, in Pittsburgh. My mom did not go to college, but like definitely they pushed like going to college. Like you were definitely going to go to school because mm -hmm. that's just what you need to do to get a better job, to have a better, you know? And so, but I would say like, when I went to college, like the degrees that I, the first thing, I went to school undecided because I was like, listen, I don't really know what I want to do. Like I had known that people were picking their majors, like we, in high school, people were picking their majors and people were talking about like what they wanted to go to school for. And I was just so undecided because I'm like, I knew I wanted to help people. I knew that I wanted to like serve in some way, but I just did not know what route to really take because I've always been a person that likes to explore everything mm -hmm. so like explore different like things like subjects and whatnot so like when I went to first went to school as I was telling y'all earlier like I loved liberal studies classes because liberal studies classes were like you got a chance to explore all different types of things like I went to explore theater like I like I was talking to y'all like I don't know I just I feel like 
that's how school should be. Like you explore, kind of get a feel of what you want to do and not be pressured to feel like you need to pick a path that like we don't know at 18. Like when you're, mm-hmm. when you're 18, 19, like you're right, Lydia, you, you don't know what you really truly, I mean, some, some people know what they truly want, but not really. Cause it's like, where did you get that idea from? Your family? Like, I don't know. I don't, I just. No, and I do think there's people that have, like my dad knew from when he was in fourth grade that he wanted to be a history professor and he'd carry around giant atlas <laughs> and give history lessons to his class. Like he knew, and that's what he loved doing. And he did that for 20 years. And so like there, there are gems of people that are very rare that like know what they want to do and do it and they love it. And it fits into the, the like system that exists. But I feel like that is so rare, you know, and I was just talking to Buster about that because I, I also feel that as society has evolved, people aren't staying in the same job for 20 years or at least not happily. I mean, like that, the fact that my dad loved his job, despite maybe, you know, I, I'm sure every job has its, its, you know, issues here and there, but like he loved his work that he was doing for 20 years, but how many people stick with the job for several decades because they feel like they should, or because they have to, because that's what you do, or that's the stability or like the loyalty to a system that like hasn't served you. I don't know. Yeah. I've seen too many people like hurt by that mentality of like, I have to stick with this job. Um, And I feel like I, life is so diverse and is so complex to think that there's only one way to do a certain thing. Like, you know, in order to help people, you can do that in a thousand different ways. You can be a teacher, you could be a social worker, you could be a nurse, you could be a community organizer, you could be a psychologist, you could be uh, an ambulance driver, you could be a volunteer firefighter. You, I mean, like there are so many worlds in which, you know, like, or, or you can be a librarian or you can, I mean, like seriously, anything you do, as long as you're doing it with that intention and then you're like, you're carrying yourself with that value. I don't know, I feel like you can do anything and, and make the impact you want or, or, or be what you want to be. But yeah, I don't, I don't feel like we get enough exposure to our options in yeah. school, you know, and I feel especially, and maybe it was just the schools that I went to, like, we did not have, um, oh, what's it? I don't even know what it's called. Home ec. Well, like yeah. we didn't learn how to, like I, my mom taught me how to like, sew and a little bit how to cook, but yeah. Buster can attest I don't cook at all and I barely cook well I just cracked a plate in the microwave this morning I was like this is horrible I know I don't even know what I did wrong anyway <laughs> ugh, forgive me the world for just being horrible but uh but in school I never learned how to sew I never learned how to cook like those weren't things that were just built into the the academic system and I feel like maybe it was in response to like people saying like, oh, women don't have to cook and don't have to sew and don't have to learn these things. Therefore, we're not going to teach anyone these things. But like, these are very like important life skills that people should know how to do. So I feel like we've swung the pendulum too far where we're like, oh, okay, all that matters is math, science, and business. And that's really, I mean, like I see that even happening at Edinburgh where they're putting all their eggs Mm -hmm. in like narrow specific baskets where like the arts and, and I'm just thinking about it, Edinburgh specifically, like some of the things that made them beautiful and wonderful, like their, their supports for people with disabilities and their wheelchair accessibility on campus, like things that really made them unique in the entire country. They've lost sight of because they've been trying to fit into this broader system as opposed to like embracing what they're good at and and who they are as a community. That's just my two cents. 
And with, but the thing is like, we do need math, science and history and all those things. And we do need art and all the, they all go together though. It's mm -hmm. like, you can't like, and even in art, you need to know statistics, right? You need to know, like, there's, I don't know, there's levels to it. And I think mm -hmm. that like we're taught what I, I hear you say is too, is like, it's kind of like, we're taught basic, but not like expanded on like what you can do with it. Cause like, that was the biggest thing as a kid. Okay, what am I gonna, what is this math gonna do for me in the future? How is this math gonna help me pay my bills? Like, I don't know, like just when you think about that, when you're younger, you're, well, I did. I'm gonna mm -hmm. say that myself. I thought about those things like, okay, what, how is this serving me? Like, what is this going to do for me later I on? asked the same questions and the other day I said to the childhood me, look, Marty, you were right. You didn't yes. need that Pythagorean, <laughs> sorry, Pythagorean theorem. You know, as a kid, I knew like, I don't like this. I don't think I'm going to go towards something that's going to use this. Right. And I was told time and time again, it's important. You need to know it. Right. Like, right. let me pursue my interests. Let me grow into who I'm supposed right. to be. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't use trigonometry in my daily life. And don't try to tell me I do because I don't. I absolutely do not. This brain does not do math, like beyond adding, subtracting, dividing, like multiplying, like those basic algebraic equations are what I do and that's it. So all those other like four or five years of math classes I took, like are it's almost irrelevant for my daily life. But you know what I didn't learn in school? Uh, the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II or, you know, like the importance of, of black philosophers or like women leaders in science, like all these other things that I didn't learn about that would have been so much more powerful and impactful to my life. But I did take an entire year of trigonometry. Yeah, facts. Oh, I feel that. But even then they could apply like as a kid, I was like, why, why, why with mathematics? If they, I, looking back, I feel like if you taught mathematics in a way that was more applicable than Johnny bought eight apples mm -hmm. and six oranges, it would connect better to the world that I see working around me. Yes, I don't use trigonometry, but I recognize that maybe my car and mm -hmm. the sink and all the things that affect my life use mathematics. Yeah. And maybe I would have had a better appreciation for them as a kid. Absolutely. I know I listen when I went to go back to school when I try, attempted to go back to school um, after getting my first degree I took this class called elements Statist elements of statistics I don't know if anybody's ever taken mm -hmm. that class. I hate statistics. that was the hardest class for me but I had taken it before and then I went to go retake it so I took it when I was going to school for my first degree fail with that I got a D I believe yeah I got a D I ain't ashamed to say that that was hard okay and that D was a hard earned D. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, but, uh, <laughs> and then I took it again and actually got a better grade, but I realized, oh my gosh, I need that. I needed this class. Like I need this class looking back now. I use some of those elements of statistics actually in the work that I do now. So it's like, I do believe that certain things do need to be used, but I think it's like, it was after trying to go get a master's degree. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I just feel like it was like, I needed to know that math actually was very significant mm -hmm. and it's significant, but it should have been taught in ways like, you know, like in, in ways that it can be applicable to, mm -hmm. you know, life. I don't know how to, I guess that's mm -hmm. kind of what I, it needs to be applicable in a way. And I don't, I think when I look at word problems, I struggle as a kid with word problems. Mm -hmm. That was so hard for me. I was like, okay, I just don't get word problems, but numbers, I'm really good with that. Algebra trig, I was good with that stuff. But when it came to like, the word problems struggle that takes also critical thinking though and sometimes i think critical thinking is like something that you have to like be 
encouraged even more. And that's what I think is missing in school is mm -hmm. critical thinking. So whether you apply it to math or history or whatever, I think that's been the biggest struggle I see in children. Mm -hmm. The education system here in, in the public school here is critical thinking. Um, and I see that and I'm like, that's, we really need to tap into that and what that looks like more for our children to be able to be people that can think with a, you know, with an open mind with, a, I don't know, I just, in that, it, that's a whole different conversation, but I just, there's certain parts of education that I feel like you, like you had said, Lydia, that are missing. Mm -hmm. I think, I think personally what's missing, and I'm just reflecting on my own experiences and like my own family background, what was always prioritized for me was what are you going to do when you graduate to make money and survive? Mm -hmm. But beyond making money and surviving, I wasn't taught like, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to live? How are you going to live outside of your work hours? And now I'm like starting to figure that out for myself. Like, what are my hobbies? What are my interests? What are the things that you can be interested in? Because I only really know what I've been exposed to or what other people tell me their interests are like, let's, let's teach people how to live. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, shoot. And not be ashamed about the grades that they do when you get in school. It's hard out here, y'all. I know it's hard. Shoot. Well, and I feel like some people, like, our brains are all different. We have different interests and different things we're good at. I'm so mm -hmm. tired of people pushing kids to be the, like, to be perfect. I've heard that word so many times, like, thrown around in, in different circles that I'm in. But, like, kids don't have to be perfect. And they definitely don't have to be perfect at everything. Like, a kid may not be good with numbers. People might, like, I don't know how to fix my plumbing in my house. That doesn't mean I'm less of a person. I just know I don't have the, like, I can't figure out all that stuff. So I call someone that does know that stuff. I, I rely on other people. And that's what human beings do. Like, the only reason humans have survived this long, we're like weak, fleshy creatures with like really no protection from anything. The only reason we've survived this long as a species is because we've worked together, because we've collaborated. So to me, it's bizarre that we expect people to be, to be like the best at everything in school when like, that's okay. We should be teaching kids. I think what would be more powerful in those moments, in those classrooms, like in a trig class where you don't know what you're doing is to encourage students to work together as opposed to testing everyone singularly and saying, yep, nope, you all have to figure this out on your own. What, I mean, what powerful lessons we would be teaching kids if we said, no, if everyone can do well together and help each other learn this or help each other get, get to the right answer, then that's what's the most important thing because working together and supporting one another. But when kids do that in school, then they get accused of cheating or, or get in trouble for talking during class or so like, I remember so many times I used to get in trouble for talking during class, obviously, cause I just can't stop talking most of the time, but like, because I was trying to talk to kids and like get them engaged in just life and, and learn about how their day was. And, and how that was like discouraged in me in a classroom mm -hmm. because you're supposed to sit forward and be quiet and just listen to the teacher. Mm. I was going to even say in math class, if, and, I, and I'm, I'm not a teacher, but like if you, if there was some type of theory we we're learning about and here's the formula to do it, but also like, how are you going to use this formula to communicate something that you're trying to sell to the real world and then you have the English kids write up something and they work with the math kids and like mm -hmm. everyone could use their skills to present something together I think it would have been a more 
warm feeling that okay I might not be good at this but I'm good at this and I can see how I can work with other people who are good with different exactly skills. right and here's the artistic kid that can make it look beautiful and present it in a visual way or like yeah, yeah we all have our strengths and wouldn't it be so cool if we celebrated those instead of making kids feel like shit for not being able to reach a certain standard right. in a certain class that just isn't their thing I like that idea and I think you know I in the educate like I actually had you know, when I went, well, I was grateful to be able to go to Collegiate Academy, but I will say there, like, we had to do group pro projects, we had to do stuff like that, but, like, I will say that there's certain school districts that are, don't get encouraged to do that, but then there are certain teachers that do it, so, like, it depends on, like, you had said that the, the teacher or the district or, like, it should be, honestly, a, a basic thing, but it's, like, it has to depend on the teacher you get, and then you have to know, like, even for me, when I was in school, like, I had to research, like, ask people, like, okay, what was your teacher like? Because I don't, I'm, if I'm scheduling this teacher, like, how was that teacher? What did they do? Like, I was really big on what the type of teacher that I needed. Like, but that's, again, that was something internally within me. Like, I was like, if you're going to educate me, I need you to be the best of the best, you know? So that's something I took on on my own. But then I also got that from my family, my parents, like, who held me accountable, but they also held teachers accountable. Like, this is what my child needs. Like, mm -hmm. you know, so again, that's another thing though. Like parents, like. Mm -hmm. But you have to have relationships with the students, right? These classrooms yeah. where there's like 40 kids, how can the teachers be able to individually help their students? I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a, it's a, again, a collaborative effort. <laughs> like mm -hmm. we, like it's a collaborative effort. It's wild. Yeah. Okay. Can I ask a question? Do you guys have, like a specific teacher that stands out in your memory that was like a uh, profound or or an impact on your life someone that you looked up to or that like helped you through a, a difficult time or decision or aspect um what parts of our life like I literally anytime like anytime okay so what's the most significant oh man I've had some really really good teachers uh, here I was just thinking about that I guess I'll start so that I can give you guys some time yeah, to think about it but like, so as we're talking, I was just thinking about a teacher I had in high school. Her name was Chris Bowler. Shout out to Chris Bowler. She also works at, the, or she, I think, volunteers sometimes at the neighborhood art house. Um, and she was my art teacher. I like, I dropped science classes my senior year and just took more art classes because I just loved being around her. And Jamie Borowitz was another one, Dr. Borowitz. Don't tell him I call him Jamie. <laughs> Dr. Borowitz, of course. No, no. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, Mrs. Bowler was like so phenomenal and not because she was like the, the sweetest teacher. Cause she wasn't, she was like gruff and she told you like it was, but she always approached every student with like the, the most clear intention to help them be a better artist or drawer or painter or like whatever we were working on, like we had this joke where she would she would joke sometimes and be like are you trying to ruin my life because we would like mess something up or like but like she just had such a good attitude about it but she was just so real and and personable to to the students and she just she struck me as such a strong example of like a strong independent woman that is doing what she loves to do but also like won't take shit from anyone and that was something that I carried with me even though there were some times where like she'd say stuff and like for me I wasn't used to being around like gruff people like that or like when, you know, they weren't like sugarcoating things. And so it took a, a while to get used to. But once I did, like uh, she became like one of my like closest friends in high school, like to the point that like, yeah, she I still stay in touch with her. She's such a great person and, and just cares so much about people. But um, 
Hmm. That to me was was powerful. Hmm. Okay, so I'm definitely I had to find I had to find her online as we're talking. And one, thank you for sharing that because that is super dope. Because when you're talking about a woman that is pretty powerful mm-hmm. to go along with yours, I had Miss Crumbly. So I don't even know if I I haven't even caught up with Miss Crumbly since graduating in 2006. She was my, and I can't remember, I think she was actually my first in high school, my first and only African-American uh, or Black teacher, actually. Um, but yo, Miss Miss Crum- Crumbly was, <laughs> she was, she was definitely an, in- she was an interesting person. She was my Spanish teacher. Um, she taught Spanish my first, it was my very first year of Spanish in ninth grade. I um, had her and she would be, she was very blunt, very honest. Um, She'd be like, listen, you need to brush up. You ain't studying, are you? Like just just would be, she would already know how my day was or how how my, like how, like she'd be like, okay. So you like, she would call me on my stuff. You know, like when when you have a team that calls you on your stuff but also does it in a very caring, compassionate way. that to me was very profound. So I'm like, okay, she wants me to win. Almost makes me want to cry. So I, I think, especially her being impactful, being my only, I mean, when I was younger in preschool, I do remember at GCAC, I remember stuff really far. My very first, uh, she was a care provider. She was my very first um, like care provider. And I remember her, cause I remember her introducing us to crisscross. And I'm like little, I'm in preschool, but anyway, then now the Miss Crumbly. So it, Again, all my influential, all the influential people in my life that were, my teachers were Black women. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I did have, but they were significantly, even now, Dr. Matthews, who's still, uh, I mean, she was in, in the college, she was one of the most profound people that really like heard me. And I was like, I want to do this, but I don't know. It's, it's, it, 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 I'm just like, when I'm reminiscing, I can think about all the women that impacted my life. And they were definitely women in the education system that were like, listen, you're, you got this, like made me feel like I was heard, um, that I was seen, that I ha- I'm capable. I think that we need teachers like that. Also, Ms. Crumbly is definitely a jack of all trades. So mm-hmm. she like, she's, yeah, she she was very skilled, very skilled. And I don't even know, I haven't ta- ca- talked to her in a while. Like, I don't even know where she, this woman is. I would love to like see her again. Yeah. Um, y'all have that feeling? Like, you want to see, like, do you see your teachers and be like, <gasps> you know, like our teachers back in the day, my teachers seen mm-hmm. them. Like I used to feel like they were like famous people. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I saw a handful of my teachers at a uh, the March for Our Lives event back when, uh, like, ending school shootings and stuff, uh, mm-hmm. fighting against gun violence. A bunch of them showed up, and I was like, "A, this is awesome that you're here. B, like, you exist outside of a school." It was super yes. cool. To see them. Marty, who's your who's your person? I um I always there's actually. I liked mo- almost all of my teachers. There's only a few that I didn't like. So I had to think like, who are my favorites? Um, and all of my ultimate favorites throughout my years of school were always history teachers slash professors. Um, so having to pick one, I'm going to pick um, Mr. Rudolph from high school. So I went to Oakland Catholic High School and it was an all girls school. And Mr. Rudolph actually let us call, her, call him George. Um, <laughs> George at the time, I think he was in his 70s. I hope he's still with us. I'm going to look him up in the phone book because I'm sure he's not um, online. Um, he he was like in his 70s. And 
you know, he taught history in a way that like really made us feel like, oh, we weren't taught like the first few lessons where it's like, oh, I wasn't taught this in elementary school. It was in George's class. Um, and also like being older, you know, he remembered where he was when Kennedy was shot. He remembered where he was um, during the Vietnam War. There are so many things where he could tie it into his way, his life, the way that all my other younger history teachers um, wouldn't. But outside of like the actual way he taught, he just made me feel seen, you know, yes. as a kid who struggled. My only really great subjects were history and English. Um, so to have teachers that recognized and told me like, you're really good at this. You can really write. Mm -hmm. You can really um go far with this mm -hmm. um and be another voice telling me like there are options outside of like what you're being told mm -hmm. um you have to do it was great and he was also my track coach um and in that space made me feel like you can push your boundaries and like do things that you never imagined so shout out to George I hope he's um doing well Yes. I don't know, though. Now I'm saying that I'm like, I'm thinking now of other teachers. I've had some really, really awesome teachers, y'all, though. Like, I would say even in high, like in high school, I really did. Like, I, I, I can think of, shoot, I can't even think of right now um, his, last, his last name. Now I call him James. I shouldn't because we friends, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, but there's like, I mean, I think of Miss Lanik. I don't even know. I think she's married now. So her last name is definitely not Lanik, but Miss Lanik was also another one for me. Like she actually, I took a class. It was women's studies. I believe it was women's studies in, this was in high school. Either women's studies or, or African-American studies. I'm not really sure, but I remember first seeing Watching Roots and this is, a, she was a white woman. She is a white woman. And she was the one that introduced our classroom to Roots though. Hmm. And I was looking at her like, you introducing us to Roots later? Like, I was kind of like, wow. Like, it was it was kind of profound that she was showing us a part, a part of history. Like, it, it and her not being Black and kind of taking that kind of, like, risk and showing us something. Like, I don't know if you has anybody ever, if y'all watch Roots, but, like, mm -hmm. it's very, it's very, very good by Alex Haley. Um, and, man, like, that was pretty profound. Like, that, so I'm even thinking, shout out to Miss Lanik, who's still actually a teacher, in the area school district, not really sure where she's at right now um, teaching, but ooh, there's a, a lot of tea. And then my art teacher, one of my art teachers, Miss Leisure, I remember when she first gave me my first 90%, A, she ain't never gave y'all shit. Like Miss Leisure, as she'll tell you to this day, she does not give A's. Like in art, she was like, no, like you gotta, she did not give A's. And I remember her my first A in this drawing class, because I drew real, I still draw pretty decent. And this, I was so geeked up. I'm like, I'm more geeked up about this A for art than I am for like a history class. Um, but it was like, she was dope too. So man, shout out to them. Shout out to our teachers. It's so important though. I think we forget. And I think most especially in what's sad is that I think a lot of teachers forget just how profoundly they impact people's lives and, and for better or worse, right? That like you can profoundly impact a child's life for the better or for the worse. And your interactions can make such a huge difference, right? Those encouraging words or that, in, you know, I remember one time I had a conversation with um, Mrs. Bowler and she like opened up to me about struggling to connect to students because because mm. the students were, you know, she just was, the age difference was growing and, and she was just feeling less and less connected. I think she had a son that was a little older than me, but like she was just feeling like she just wasn't able to connect to the students as much. And she was like vulnerable in a moment with me as far as like, this is difficult. It's difficult to work with angsty teenagers all the time. And I, and it was such a profound moment for me to see that vulnerable side of her 
that like she gifted me with that opportunity as her student to like to to hear that and then and realize like the profound impact that I was having on people right so like vice versa like students are are impacting the teachers because you walk into a classroom and you think oh this is just the well and I also knew because my dad was a professor so I knew professors were humans also but I felt like I had to (laughs) remind people and my friends of that sometimes in school was like they're just people too like they have bad days and and can we be patient with each other and just see the humanity for who we are on both sides of this um and yep. I think that miss that gets missed a lot in conversations. You know, we get stuck in like power struggles too. I would see my my teachers struggle with like their students over like power of yes, like control same. of a room or like the power dynamics of something. And I just thought like, what a waste of time. Yes. You know, how can we be working to empower our students and not do these like power struggles back and forth? Yeah. As yeah. a kid and still now, but as a kid being more close to like my school years, I couldn't understand for the life of me how someone who had such an important impact in my life and ultimately like I love my teachers right could be paid and treated so poorly by like our system and like the jokes I would hear about teachers and the profession it just didn't make sense to me it's like they are the basis for all other job and all other work they're the basis for our society so I don't understand why we not we as us individuals but like don't value them mm -hmm. more Right. I know. I, uh, when I used to live with my mom, there were people living next door that were kind of scary people. They like threatened to shoot us one time. They didn't know we could hear them. They were like angrily yelling at each other at a bonfire in their backyard. But Buster and I were in our backyard and could hear them. But, uh, but they, they were the ones that called us those peace and love bitches next door as if that was an insult. And I was like, that's okay. If that like, you're getting my vibe if you're calling me a peace and love bitch. But anyway, um, but they said something about like, yeah, those who can't do teach and, and we're complaining about teachers like having salaries or getting paid more than, I don't know what their comparison was, but yeah, there's a, I don't know where that like angst comes from or that anger. I feel like there's a lot of anger at teachers or misunderstanding. About, and it's like, American. We're like one of the, not few countries, but like other countries treat their teachers better. Oh, oh for sure. Yes, yes. I, well, one of the ones, um, what is it? Finland? Finland, their education system is very, very like forward. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very, very forward. But I, and I like look at that. I'm like, there are some things that we could take. Why don't we take those things, those good parts from other, not take, but why don't we get inspired by those good parts? Right. Well, it's because the the United States mentality is that like, it's our way is the best way, right? It's that kind of like Judeo-Christian, we're God's chosen people to like our, our God is the only one and our way of doing things is the only way we're doing this, the best manifest destiny, rugged individualism. Like we don't need anyone else. We know everything already. We know everything and we already know how to do it the best way. So we don't need to consult anyone else. And we have the one truth. Like it's all that same crap. No, it's, <laughs> that, crazy. it's crazy out here. Yeah. I, agree I don't with that. know, man. But, but there are so many different ways to do things. And, and, and there are so many ways to achieve success, quote unquote, like however you want to define that, whether that's financially or relationally, you know, socially, emotionally, (laughs) spiritually, like 
I would say that we all are very successful in our own ways. I am so proud to be connected to you too and, and all the wonderful work that you're doing. Um, and I'm really excited for this conversation that we're going to have with Armando Reyes, who is also finding success in his own way. And I think that, that his story will be really exciting and, and fun to, to dissect and unpack and, and process with him because he really is finding his own way and, and opening his, started his own business and is, is doing something that he's great at, that he enjoys doing. And, and it shows. And I think that that going back to like the teacher aspect of it, like, you know, when your teacher loves what they're doing, you can tell when they love what they're doing, even if they're not being syrupy sweet, or even if they're calling you on your bullshit, like, you know, that they love what they're doing and they care about what they're doing. And that shines through. And I think that I would say that that's also like something great about our podcast. We love what we're doing. We're doing this because we love it. We're not doing it for money or for power or for anything other than we love our community and we love talking to one another and we love kind of sharing these conversations. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm very I'm excited. excited. Too. I'm very excited. I think that Armando's going to, I can't wait to hear, you know, I've heard bits and pieces, I'm not bits and pieces, but I've heard, you know, his story, but to sit down and talk. Um, you know, one, one, one on one, one on, you know, with all of us, I think that will be, it's going to be impactful because like we talked about different, giving different people, different uh, insights to like different careers and jobs that you can do with your, you know, with yourself. Like you don't have to like be in this little box, like to, you can branch out and do what you want to do. So I agree with that. Like, I'm so excited to have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll bring them on right after this. Welcome back. We're sitting down with Armando Reyes, and it's just me and Lydia right now. Um, Devana's enjoying a lover's getaway. So here we are. All right. So I am so excited to be here with Armando. A, because I just miss his lovely face and presence and existence. Um, Armando, Marty, and I used to be in Erie County Young Dems together, and so we kind of knew each other personally, and it's amidst COVID has been a while since the three of us have gotten together and been able to chat. Um, and so, uh, so with us today is Armando Reyes, and I will let him kind of take the lead in introducing himself and, and what, uh, Armando, if you could just tell us what you do right now. I know you are a local entrepreneur and an artist, and so we want to hear kind of what you're doing, what you're working on right now. Awesome. So thank you very much for having me. I'm, uh, Pretty much, I'm honored now to be on this podcast. It's blown up so much. Um, you've talked to so many cool and exciting and great people that I'm like flattered to be on here. So thank you very much. Uh, yeah, my name is Armando and I run, uh, own and operate Lake Erie Woodworks. We build custom furniture and cabinetry and all kinds of things related to wood. Um, I also own and operate Lake Erie Drumworks. Uh, we build custom snare drums for musicians um, all over. We uh, have several musicians here in Erie who are playing drums now. And um, my newest venture uh, tied into all of this is the Lake Erie School of Woodworking. So um, one of the most important things to me, um, working in the craft and in the trades specifically was to be able to at some point open our shop to the public to learn you know what we do to learn about what we do um 
so that they themselves can continue this sort of tradition of woodworking uh, on themselves and whether they turn it into a business or just a hobby. Um, we're just excited to be in a place where we can offer our space as a place of learning. Mm -hmm. um, that is the one thing that I'm hoping to grow most uh, moving forward. Uh, obviously, you know, owning a business, everybody wants to, you know, sell things and grow their business, which is fine. But um, uh, I think having the uh, opportunity to grow this part of our, you know, endeavor to be part of the community is the, uh, the most important thing, I think, for us, you know, and if that helps to grow our business, that's fine. But, um, you know, we really just want to open our shop to as many people as we can. So that's where we're headed this at this moment. It's super cool. Yeah, I think uh, prior to this, we were talking about kind of education and um, and kind of just the opportunities to learn about different trades and things kind of outside the traditional, you know, either you're, you're in high school or you go to four-year college or like, you know, we don't get exposure all the time to all these different options for what people can be doing and what you can be learning. Now, did you go to a school like that? Uh, Armando to learn woodworking or how did that start have you always done this what no no so I mean for most of my life yes I've been involved in the trade so for what I did mainly as a career is I worked as a mechanic um, and so that's what I did out of high school I, you know so you know mechanic just like anything else is a trade and uh, so I went to technical school and graduated and became a mechanic and I did that for a long time and um, the woodworking part is sort of passed down through family. So my grandfather was a woodworker. And uh, when he came to the States from Mexico, that's kind of really how they, how he supported his family. Um, just making things and cabinetry, just something that he learned when he was a kid. And so that was passed on to his seven boys uh, <laughs> as they were growing up. And then all of them, my dad included, and my uncles had their own little basement workshops and you know, always fixing up things around the house. Um, I'm originally born and raised uh, in Chicago. Um, so I lived there most of my life. Uh, we moved to Erie in 2007. But um, before that, you know, in Chicago, nobody really has houses, right? So everybody lives in an apartment. And so at one point, like my grandfather um, owned their apartment building. Uh, my parents owned our apartment building. My uncle owned his apartment building. And uh, so there was always something broken and always something that needed to get fixed or replaced or repaired because that's just the life of a landlord and having apartments. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, everybody had something to work on and something to fix and had their tools and stuff. So um, that's where I learned. And then moving to Erie, living in our house and eventually buying our house, it was the same thing, you know, like this needs fixed or you know, we want a cabinet for here, or we want a new table for this, or whatever it was, but um, I started to get into it more, um, you know, for, like, the history of, like, furniture, and really sort of developed a passion for it, and so as that grew, um, I started making things, and then people said, oh, can you make me this, and then so, you know, eventually it turned into <laughs> a side business, and then eventually a full-time business, so that's kind of where we're at right now, and hoping to grow more, obviously, and, um, you know, just really just get our name out there and, like, the work that we do, the service that we provide, and, you know, see what else we can do in Erie. 
I love hearing stories about people who are exposed to some things that they still do now as an adult through their childhood. So like how early did you start actually like helping your grandfather or your father in the workshop? Yeah, I mean, like we were kids, you know what I mean? Like, and my dad would always tell stories too, like when he was a kid and my grandfather would be like, okay, it's the weekend, we have this job to do. And they would go on the bus, you know, in, you know, on public transportation on the bus in Chicago with their tools to go to somebody's house to fix something or, you know, build something for some person who lived somewhere on the other side of town. And then so he would drag, you know, whoever was the oldest at the time that was still in the house, he would drag them over to do their work and then they would come back. And so, yeah, even since they were kids and then I remember being a kid in my grandfather's shop and then, you know, in my dad's or my uncle's just always doing something. Always, There's always kind of thing going on. So, um, yeah ever since I was a kid since you know those are some very early memories and then I I still remember I can see like some of the tools like oh I remember that thing was blue and I you know I don't know what you didn't know what what it was at the time but I remember this blue thing and he had this cabinet here and you remember like the bathroom was over there and there was a big pile of wood here and you know kind of fuzzy memories but you know it was since we were kids yeah right huh that's so cool well and I yeah, there's something really, I think, empowering about being able to fix things on your own, too. And I think, was that something else that you had organized, Armando? It was like these little, like, I'm going to say the wrong, but like fix it cafe. Like people could bring something in and you would help fix it. What was that called? Yeah, so there, that was a, a thing. There was a, somebody else was in charge of that. And I, I believe her name was Karen. And she was, it, it was her idea. And she basically came to me as she wanted to have a thing where once a month or once a quarter or something like that we could have uh, an event where people can bring things to get fixed right whether it's a toaster or a, a leg broken on your coffee table something along those lines and so we we kind of had planned to figure something out and covid kind of kind of mm-hmm. crushed all of that for now mm-hmm. um but she just came to me as a person that can said hey if can we use you as like a expert in this whatever field for furniture, right? So if somebody does come in and we have this event, can you be there, offer some of your tools or some of your space or some of your you know knowledge mm-hmm. to help fix things when people come in? You know, the shelf is broken on your bookcase or you know whatever kind of thing it was, small enough that you could bring it, you could carry it in your car and bring it to here. You know, like you're not going to come with your dining room table and we're going to fix it, but just little things. And uh, so that was that whole idea. Um, it never really got off the ground because, like I said, we, it, everything kind of mm-hmm. shut down. But um, I still think that it's going to happen. Um, obviously, that would be something that would be cool to do. You know, we can bring I don't know, whatever it is, light fixture, your lamp is broken, whatever kind of things that we can help with. And if we can have some materials there, some extra parts. And, some switches and things laying around that maybe we can get some of these things up and running um, Mm -hmm. instead of throwing them away like that's the whole point of that thing is like how can we stop people from throwing things away and repairing them like they used to unfortunately most of the products today aren't made to be fixed or rebuilt Mm -hmm. so that's kind of a problem also but Mm -hmm. um, I still think there's plenty that people just don't have the knowledge sometimes Mm -hmm. so that you know like all it was was the wire was loose on your lamp and now it's fixed, you know? So mm-hmm. um, that that was kind of the genesis of that 
Yeah, it's super cool. But yeah, and I think you bring up a good point about there's like a very real environmental incentive to not just throw away stuff at the first sign of it not working. Like if there's a way to fix it, figure it out. But for so many people, they're not lucky enough to have like a legacy of woodworkers in their life that, (laughs) you know, they've grown up around. And so how beautiful to share that with, with the community. And I, I feel similarly about your, your plans to open, you know, the, or to, to educate people and, and create this, the school of woodworking. Cause I think that that similarly, right. Like for the people that don't have that connection in their immediate circle or in their family, how powerful that can be to give them that. Yeah. And I think it's just like, a, like you said, it's a matter of opportunity, right? Like one is the opportunity to, to get access to the knowledge or to get access to the equipment or to the space, you know, or the combination of those things, mm-hmm. because, you know, it's, it, this is the kind of thing that is passed down, right? Like this is very difficult to put in a book and then taught. It's not something that's like really structured where you say, here is how this works, type in these numbers, and then you get a result. You know, like this is something that takes you know, experience and hands-on type of um, work to be passed down. And, you know, sometimes like people will say, you, you, you watch, you hear things and they'll say, you know, you're, you're, cause this is my business also, right? So mm-hmm. you're like, well, you're teaching people how to do this. It's gonna take away from your business or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if somebody didn't teach me how to do it, you know, I wouldn't be doing it, you know? so. And if I don't teach somebody how to do it, nobody else is going to know how to do it, you know? So you feel that I feel this personal responsibility to pass this knowledge down. Um, just like we, we always pass our, you know, whatever you pass down your culture, you pass down your language, you pass down whatever, you know, these are things that need to be passed on to other people. And, you know, having a, us being fortunate enough to have the space to do that and hopefully grow into bigger spaces to offer to more people um that's the plan going forward but yeah it you know we feel that I feel that you know we have a responsibility to to teach that and especially since that's not happening in schools anymore you know mm-hmm. it's just it's it's I, I think it falls even more onto our shoulders to to really push the availability and the, the access to people mm-hmm. I think it's a shift in our culture that's really necessary um I know myself, COVID forced me to learn how to cook. Um, and before COVID, I had a comforter that I really loved that fell apart and I had to force myself to learn how to sew it, sew it to change or to keep using it. And I feel, I can speak for myself individually, but I don't think I would be far from far from the truth if I said like as a culture for a long time, we've been very far away from um a space where we had ownership of our things and we felt that we could, if something broke, take care of it. Or if something broke, we could go to a family member or other person who could fix it. And in a time where we're trying to be more sustainable um, environmentally, this is definitely a move we should be making and better care of our things. Yeah, for sure. And I think we've, we kind of swung that pendulum like really far, like most pendulum swing Mm -hmm. like you know we were at a point in in the 50s and you know you know post world war ii where that's all we did was Mm -hmm. fix our own things right like everybody knew how to work on their own car and build their own furniture and like build their own house like that was a way of life 
And then we kind of went into this like computer era and it turned all into electronics. And then this is the wave of the future. And we kind of left those things behind. And, and I don't want to say it wasn't for the wrong reason because, you know, there came a time where like the computer age was going to take over and you should learn how to do this. And that's great because it allows us to do these things that we do now with technology. But um, we kind of left, we kind of left some things behind in that process. And uh, I think we're finding that pendulum kind of swing back again and uh, realize that not only did we lose a big generation and you know and they lost the ability to do some of these things but they realizing now that the generation that did have, have these skills are now you know going into an age where they're not doing it anymore mm-hmm. and you know the availability you know people never nobody ever thought like it's going to be hard to find a plumber or like it's going to be hard to find a mechanic but we're mm-hmm. running into that situation now mm-hmm. where the average age of a lot of people working in the trades is pretty high and um we just we don't have the people coming behind them uh that's where we see the problem mm-hmm. it's not that they're not there now but they're once they're gone there's not a whole lot of people to replace them and then that's where we're going to have the problem right right yeah i mean yeah we were just talking about that earlier um, the other day that, yeah, schools, like, I feel like we just, we've created this gap and, and I mentioned it earlier just now, but that we like, we push people towards this four-year college. And I think we're seeing that now with like the debate around canceling student debt, but that for, for many generations earlier on, um, going to college was a way to expand your opportunities and to expand your, you know, ability to, to do more jobs or, or reach different potential. But, um, but now I almost see it as like the, the costs don't outweigh the, the benefits in some ways. Um, and then you also, yeah, are creating these gaps where people aren't learning these skills. And, and these are really necessary skills. I, Marty was just saying earlier that, um, you know, there's things like we rely on. We rely on a plumber to know how yeah. it works. And yeah, it's, exactly. these all these things that are going on behind the scenes that we kind of take for granted. But like we need people to construct our furniture that we sit on and enjoy and like the beautiful things that we keep in our home and the decor that we have but like we like totally take it for granted and I I feel like yeah as a culture we could do so much better and as a like an education system right like raising kids in this culture and raising kids and and educating kids in this space we could do so much better to encourage that for them this may be organizer Marty speaking but I think it all ties back to you know, the shift in our culture for profit for everything. Mm-hmm. Everything had to be a money-making thing. So rather than us being able to fix our own things, there's money to be made and just making something quick and cheap that you can just replace. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the the four-year educational institution system has become this massive money-making thing that has a majority of, the, of us who go to school in debt. You know, there, there has been the systemic planning or systemic or cultural shift that has taken away from the trades and and it has encouraged and because everyone is struggling everyone wants their children to do well our parents thought the only options for us were was to go to college in a country where all the manufacturing jobs were leaving you know so we kind of had a crisis that kind of shifted us to this culture where everyone had to go to school and now we're in a space where like our infrastructure is falling apart. There are not enough plumbers. There are other trades jobs where the people who are doing those jobs are retiring. We're all kind of scrambling to try to find people to fill in these. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a shift. Like there needs to be a shift in like in the light that we see 
these mm -hmm. tradespeople, right? Because they're always like talking like the greasy mechanic and plumber with his crack hanging out. And like, you know, like we have these like stereotypes that we put mm -hmm. on these people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we need to kind of shift that because like it, it's difficult to say like you could, you either, you go to college and you pursue this level and, and you gain all this intellect and you become this smart, educated person meaning that people who didn't go don't become these smart educated mm -hmm. intellectual people and it's kind of the opposite like i've worked for years as a as a mechanic right and um i worked on like high-end german automotive cars and like if you don't think you need to be like a smart person to do mm -hmm. that like you're really wrong like this the it's a lot different from like your back alley mechanic like laying on his back under a car, like getting all dirty and greasy. Like it's not the case anymore. I told people like on one of the cars that we would work on, there was six control modules in the headlight of the vehicle, right? So like in order to be able to communicate with these things now, like you gotta be a computer scientist. Like you have to be able to com communicate with all these things. They're running on networks. Like they have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and all of these things built into them that you have to fix each one of those, right? Like being a mechanic, you're a plumber because you're working on fuel lines, you're working on coolant lines, mm -hmm. you know, you're rebuilding engines, you're rebuilding transmissions, you're doing upholstery because you have to fix the seat. You know what I mean? Like all of these things are tied into being a mechanic. And so you, if you think of somebody who's working in a trade as like somebody who doesn't have knowledge or isn't smart, then like that's, you have to really rethink that. And then now working in the woodworking and carpentry field is some of the smartest people I know. You know, like try looking at a complicated like framing roof or something like that. There's so much math and angles and things involved. Like it blows my mind that these people can just like do this in their head, you mm -hmm. know? So we have to sort of shift that focus. Mm -hmm. Like there's people who are go to college and they're smart for that. But just because you didn't, doesn't mean like you took this step back mm -hmm. or like I decided on a lesser path. Mm -hmm. It's like, we, we have to keep, you know, people who are, who are deciding to go into the trades, like give them as much respect as somebody who's, you know, pursuing a, you know, mm -hmm. becoming an engineer or a doctor, you know? And I want to challenge, not challenge, but I want to say that like all work has value, you know, like mm -hmm. our culture of, oh, a burger flipper should make $15 right. an hour. Everyone deserves the right to have a roof over their head, food in their bellies, and peace of mind, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. As long as, you, and even if you don't work, like, our value is goes beyond what we do to make a living, and I want, like, that to shift also. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, I, I have a question for you, Armando, in, like, in a culture that is not built in that mindset, right? Like in a space in the United States where we don't value people's just like inherent dignity or we don't, in like we're not encouraged to do what's for the common good. We're encouraged to go after the buck and, and to be pursuing profit. How did you find the space in which to start a business, but to still have the wherewithal to say, okay, but how can I be improving the community with, like, where does that come from? So it comes from personal experience, right? Like um, growing up in the inner city of Chicago, like you understand how few opportunities there are and how just being exposed to some things can really change somebody's life, right? And 
like I talked about college, like that gap between like, you can go to college or we don't know what else to offer you, right? Like when I was in high school, our college fair was like a couple of the local universities, right? Like UIC, University of Illinois, Chicago, um, Columbia University was there, which was kind of strange. And then all four branches of the military. Hmm. That was our college fair, right? So there wasn't a whole choices. It was like, here's an Ivy League school or here's the military or here's like the place you can go to that's kind of local. You know what I mean? Like none of it was like, and, and but nobody ever said, here's a trade school. Here's something that you can do. Mm-hmm. Like I went to, uh, to college for a year, realized like I'm going to be $50,000 in debt by the time I'm done with this. And I just thought to myself, I just need a good job. Like really at the end of the day, that's what it boiled down to for me. It was like, I just kind of want to have a good job. Like I want to go to work. I want to do a thing and I want to come home and I don't want to be buried in debt to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I, where I ended up on the path to becoming a mechanic. But, but it was just the idea that nobody ever explained that to me. Like nobody ever told me, no, there's a different way. Like you could do a different thing. And part of it is because like, again, like we have this cultural idea that you should go to college and you should become whatever thing. And you should, I'm not going to tell anybody not to go to school or not. I always tell people, if you want to go to college, go, but know exactly what you want to be. Have like, Mm -hmm. you want to be 100% sure that I'm going because I want to be this thing or I want to learn how to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's dangerous when people are like, yeah, I'm going to whatever university and oh I'm just gonna major in this for now and we'll see how it goes I'm like man that you don't want to be that person like if Mm -hmm. you're gonna go to school go to school because you're gonna learn something like that's the idea of education right I'm gonna learn this thing and whether if it's you know English literature or brain surgery like whatever you want to be like but pick something and and pursue that path and so like you know having this idea that yes, I want to have this like business venture, which I would like to be successful in. Mm-hmm. It still, it still doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean anything if like how they say, you know, you, you climb the ladder, but you pull up the ladder behind you. Like mm-hmm. you don't want to be that person. Like, you know what I mean? If, if, if I'm going to climb a ladder, like I'm going to, you have to bring somebody up with you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, it was just personal experience from like not having those opportunities growing up as a kid obviously you you know you come from a bad neighborhood you don't you don't have great options for the education that you're in mm-hmm. you know i did uh, you know i sort of relive my history through my family like my my father was the first one born here in the united states so my grandmother was pregnant with him when they came here mm-hmm. and uh, so, so but they ended up having nine kids total and you know, they, you imagine the idea of like any immigrant family, like leaving their whole family, their whole life, their whole country to come to find something better. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, my parents did as, as best as they could. You know what I mean? I can't blame them. Like, oh, we lived in a bad neighborhood and, and you didn't send me to the great school or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like they, they lived their life as best they could for us. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like, you know, I still have to do the same thing for mm-hmm. my kids, right? Like I have to be we have to try to put them in the best situation that we can, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever that means, like trying to send them to a good school and trying to raise them in the right way, you know, whatever the case may be. But, mm-hmm. you know, you feel this like 
part of you that says you knew what it was like to not have some of these things mm -hmm. and how easy just exposing people to some of these opportunities can really make a change in somebody mm -hmm. and so that's kind of the driving force behind yeah wanting to be you know open to the community and things like that no that's so inspiring well and it's almost like hand in hand as like your family tradition passed down to you was woodworking it also seems like your family tradition was also a tradition of like helping each other and, and thinking about the future and thinking about the next generation and being more forward-minded as opposed to like so many stories of like quote unquote success that are like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it mm -hmm. good for yourself and not yeah. like no reference to to the future or, or other people um yeah so it, it just seems like those kind of happen concurrently that that you were yeah like, and, you come and from I, a long and, line of people that <laughs> care about others yeah and and that's the thing like you know usually when you hear those stories of like you know I you you always hear like oh I I did it by myself or I'm like I you know I made it I'm a self-made person and it's like <laughs> you you just look back a generation it's like mm, right I'm, I'm gonna say no <laughs> like <laughs> there was plenty of help along the way you know what I mean there was some right. hurdles that you didn't have to jump through to get to the point of life that you're in and I'm just about helping those people you know like there's a lot of people who are jumping hurdles and if one of those things I can help them over then you know that's what I'm that's what I'm here to do yeah it's awesome that's awesome well and I, yeah I think empathy is something that's like so lacking in so many spaces right now and I think that it's just so clear that you're bringing empathy to the work that you're doing and also bringing like a love to it and, and I, I kind of want to go back to that in reference to going to college or going to into a trade that like so in my home it was just always taught like do what you love period whatever that is like do what you love and like it'll work out for you as long as you're like leading with like whatever you're passionate about and I feel like we you we talk about that sometimes but it's usually in reference to like school or something that's like more in like that realm of things and we don't talk about it as like do what you love. And if what you love to do is plumbing and if that's like what you're great at and you know, or like what you do, like maybe your job isn't the love of your life, like the, the thing that you are born to do, but it's something that like it's stable and it allows you to do what you want to do, which is start a family or have, you know, a, a, you go to work and then you can be home and just be with your family. I think that that also is beautiful in and of itself, but I feel like that's yeah. not valued in the same way. Yeah. I always, I, I always go back and forth on it because you know, for a long time, you know, we were going to, you hear that phrase, right? Like do the thing that you love to do, but it's always, I think like coming from an immigrant family and like being a minority, like it's still kind of dangerous. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to tell people like you're already going to have like a difficult time sorting your way through life. And then to decide to like follow a career that's not going to maybe be financially successful. Mm -hmm. Like you're already going to kind of be set back at one point. And mm -hmm. so there was times where we're like, our kids are going to, we're going to grow up and we're going to try to push them through to something that, you know, we know that may, maybe get them like financially stable. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because nobody ever told me, like, <laughs> I always say like, why didn't my parents ever tell me to like go to school to be an engineer? Like, <laughs> like go do something where like you're not going to have to struggle for the rest of your life you know what I mean like it's not you're not going to have to like 
work a job and live paycheck to paycheck and do these kind of mm -hmm. things, you know? Like, why didn't anybody tell me that? And and then like, that's how we were like, we're gonna tell our kids like, look, you know, follow these opportunities. This is what you can do. Like, you know, my grandparents had to struggle. My parents had to struggle. We have to struggle. Like find something so where you're not in this rat race all day, right? Like put yourself in a good position. But then you also don't want to take their passion away. Mm -hmm. right? Like you, you also, there also comes a point where like, maybe that's not important, you know? And, and if, and if doing the things you love, is not a great, doesn't put you in a great financial position. Well, you might not care because mm -hmm. you're doing what you love to do. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's, I've always been very conflicted on that. Like it's tough, mm -hmm. but you know, I don't know. I guess everybody. It's a balance though, right? right? Yeah. Like, and I've just been having this conversation with some other folks that like have been working in the same field for 20 years and like they're doing what they love, but they're not getting the recognition or the like supports that they could be getting. And so I was trying to encourage, like, I think we're, we're so stuck in like that it like uh, the job has to fit what you love. And, and that's, that's like the, it's such a narrow view of, yeah of your options but like what if you could do a day job that also is good like you know that that pays the bills that allows you to do whatever but then you're also be still able to do what you love in your free yeah. time but the job yeah. allows you to have free time as opposed right. to like for some social workers they're working 80 hours a week like just ridiculous hours working weekends trying to get paperwork done because they care about their clients but they're not getting compensated for that okay well what if you got compensated for your time and then could help them and volunteer or do community organizing like there's so many options out there I feel like sometimes we just get bogged down and like not creative enough mm -hmm. yeah I don't know we <laughs> we always have that conversation like you know you don't you don't want to like put things in your kids heads you know like you should be this and you should try to do that mm -hmm. um but you also you know we just feel like we would just want to expose them to as many things as possible just so they 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 can make their own decision you know like we we have a, a couple of nieces and nephews they were going to high school like figuring out like what they want to do and we're like you know you should really think about maybe going into this field like Hey, look, look at all the rest of us. Look at your parents. Look at your aunts and uncles. Like, look at what we're struggling through. Like, maybe put yourself in a position where you can be more successful. And then, like you said, allow yourself to do that. You know, like, oh, I really like doing art. And maybe I'll go to art school or something. It's like, all right, but like 10 years from now, don't tell me, like, you know, you're still living in your one bedroom apartment because like, you want to be an artist and, you, you know, it's tough. So like, you know, you don't want to crush anybody's dreams. You just want to make sure like they know that there's other paths to be on, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Just like we, you know, like if you want to be a, you know, whatever, whatever you want to be, like just take that path. And I always say, whatever it is, take that path and like really excel at it, right? Whatever you want to do, just be really good at it. You know, mm -hmm. don't, don't do anything halfway. You know, whatever you decide to do. And I think that's where you'll find the success, whether it's financial or otherwise, mm -hmm. like, be passionate about the thing you're going after and like really do it, you know? Cause I could have, I could have got out of tech school as a mechanic and like worked at any old garage anywhere, you know? But I wanted to be on that path. Like what's the best thing that I can do 
in this industry you know what I mean and one of them is like okay you work on high-end German cars like most of the cars I worked on cost more than the house that I live in so it's like you you can get to a point where like I want to be the best at my job that I can you know so whatever it is like just excel to try to be the best at it mm-hmm. I guess that's my best advice Talk a little bit about your involvement in Chroma and how like oh yeah as an artist. So um, the Chroma Guild, yeah, that's it's it's pretty cool. So a few years ago, um, as part of Erie Arts and Culture, who is obviously a part of what your guys are doing here, um, they started a community for artists of color, and they wanted to basically create opportunities for artists who are typically who have been historically overlooked in their work um not you know usually offered um to have their work shown in spaces not top of mind usually um for the art world whether it's in erie or in general um and so they started the chroma guild as basically a network for artists uh multicultural artists um to sort of i don't know come together to be known to be basically put out into the world but in a purposeful way right like to say here are artists we want you if you're going to do a project in the city that requires art or an artist here's a group of people who can do it and we're sort of building out that network it started a few years ago and uh, it kind of went through different iterations and kind of different people were in charge of it. And just recently over the last few months, we've kind of really sort of put together a core group of people to try to take the reins and like really put it out there, you know? So we created whole, like we, we made it like super professional. Like we create, like we have a president and a vice president and a secretary. So like we like, we try to make it like as official as possible because uh, we realized if there was no organization, like there was no way for us to keep this thing growing. Mm-hmm. And um, so at present, I'm the uh, vice president of advancing educational opportunities. It's a big title. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, fancy, and, and, fancy. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that goes back to the whole thing. And, and that's something that I, I wanted to do, right? Like advancing educational opportunities, like that's kind of the thing. So you know, if there's like a, a grant writing seminar or a, or, or a webinar on learning how to use Photoshop, like any kind of things like that, as information that I try to put out to the group, here's some, here's something where you can learn something that mm-hmm. may help you in your practice as an artist. And, um, and so, you know, all of the other things that we're doing, you know, we're having, we're trying to create our own um, art shows for, for the artists who are part of Chroma, we're trying to basically put ourselves as a group of artists out into as many opportunities as possible, right? So anytime there's, um, you know, a call for art for anything, you know, we, we try to create a network so that we can get as many people involved in those things as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the Chroma Guild. If you are an artist of color, please reach out to us. Um, we'd be glad to have you. There's there we do have we ask people to become members, but there is no fee or anything like that to be a member. All you have to do is just give us your information and you know be part of the community. So 
yeah, that's that's a, another exciting thing that we're working on. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. So I know you had mentioned something, we had talked about like something about recidivism. Was that something that you wanted to talk about and related to, to your work? Yeah, so, I mean, I guess that's part of the bigger picture of like, I feel like sometimes when people talk about the things that, like the things that I'm talking about, like, oh, we wanna create a space for the community or like, we wanna help the community. Like it's all of these, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of times it's not like people are like really getting down to some of the things that are causing issues in these mm -hmm. communities, right? So um, like one of the things that I've seen happen in other parts of the country is like somebody will have these programs, whether, whether, whether it's myself as a business or, you know, this space that we create where like, you know, the jobs that they're offering are jobs to people who are coming out of prison or jobs to people who are recently, you know, out of rehab or, you know, women who are coming out of, you know, abusive relationships, whatever the case may be. So things that are like actually giving people who need the help, um, you know, a place to be one thing and then a place to work and learn a new skill and hopefully put them on a better path to the one that they were on previously. You know, like the idea of, um, I don't know, people, the, the, um, the frequency and the rate at which like black men are imprisoned or, or whatever those cases, like these are things that are really like destroying communities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we can, we can say as, as much as we can, like, oh, we donated money to this thing, or, you know, we, we helped, yeah, we, we, we painted a, a house, you know, down on the, on the east side. And so we're doing our part, you know what I mean? But it's like, that's not what's really going to fix these situations, you know? And it's like, unless we're providing these people, like, a place to, you know, really change their lives or, or really, you know, impact their lives in a real way, like that's, I think where the real work is. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I envision, you know, like pr not just providing a space where like, you know, somebody can come and like fix up something, but like somebody can really come and learn a skill that can put them on a path, you know, to better their life, like for real, mm -hmm. you know, so. Right. Yeah. Wow. And well, and I mean, what just the perfect example, again, through a different lens, but just a way in which you are, carrying on that legacy of like teaching the next generation or, or like teaching, you know, yeah. And the next generation or another generation, uh, another person that then can, that ripple effect of like, now that they have this skill, like what can they do with that? And how will that not only affect them, but their family or their kids. And, and just like the, yeah, the reach of that is really powerful, profound to really think about you know, just how powerful that could be for a community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, and again, like, you know, it goes back to the idea of there being, you know, a lack of people in, in the trades. And, and it's true because like, you can go to any, you can call any contracting business in our town and probably any town in the, in the country and like call a plumber, call a carpenter, call an electrician. None of them will say they have enough people. Like every single one of them say, I need more people. I don't have enough people and I need to hire people. 
but it takes a level of skill, like even a basic level of skill, right? But you can, that's still something that like you can get involved in. Like it doesn't take a degree, but you know, it, you can learn on the job. Like you, you just need to know that those opportunities are out there. And I think especially in communities of color, like we're not always gonna, be, you know, college is not always gonna be our first choice. Like there's, you, kids are not gonna go to, you know, university because they just can't afford it. Like they know from the beginning, like you can be in your imagination, like you can see yourself as a brain surgeon if you wanted to, but you know, it's just not gonna happen. You know, so we need to make sure that we're providing like a way, like a way forward for some people and even if it's just like oh I'm gonna work in my 20s till I you know build up enough money and then I can put myself through college and then I can do the thing that I wanted to do like well maybe that's just an opportunity right we don't know we don't know where people are gonna go with this thing but like it's something but there's even a barrier to the trades um a few years ago um and we, we're always at my work trying to organize around different public policies and making sure like if something's being built that they're hiring um, diverse people and hiring people from areas of the city where there's lower to long-term unemployment. And a lot of the times when we would sit with some of these um, people who are leaders like the trades or like are connected to people at the trades, they talk about some of the things you need to work in the trades Mm -hmm. and some of those things are having a driver's license Mm -hmm. having a vehicle Mm -hmm. um being able to spend weeks or months at a training facility um being able to travel down to pittsburgh for some of these jobs to take the test so for some of those things a lot of people don't have vehicles a lot of people um if don't need vehicles because they're taking public transit a lot of people can't take the time off work if they're supporting their parents or children to go spend months at a time in a different city a lot of people can't take the shift off to go take a test in the city so like we also need to within those systems and i'm not within those systems look at the ways that we can remove some of those barriers so people can try to enter those work fields it's not for people not trying half the time yeah no yeah absolutely yeah i mean there's there's tons of things to overcome you know and and i don't claim to to have the answer to all of those things um but like i said that you know in my corner of the world in my little shop and the square footage that i have i can i can do the most that i can you know and if that just means like having somebody learn a skill because that's the other good part of like kind of being around in the trade like let's say you learn a few things, right? Like you learn a few skills, you maybe have worked at a couple of different places. Like it's kind of easy to then start go off on your own, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's just like me, you know, somebody saw what I did and they said, hey, can you do this for me? You know, Mm -hmm. like, let's say you had a little bit of carpentry training and then like you fixed the neighbor's door and then the neighbor told her friend and you kind of fixed his front porch railing. And then like that is, there is a way for you to kind of build your, your own way through this thing like it's not always you got to go get your union card and then sign up and then sit in a union hall waiting for work you know there is kind of a way that you can you know start to make your own way you know it's not easy and and nothing ever is but it's one of the fields that i think where you can do something like that 
you know, it's not like being an engineer and like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work my way up to it eventually. <laughs> it's like, this, we're not, that's not gonna happen, but, but maybe Shout as out. a, you know, maybe as a carpenter, you can. Shout out to you for creating a space outside those systems where people can come and gain those skills and like, try to do their own thing, you know? That's the difficult part, right? Like we lost those trade schools. Like that's what trade school is for, you know, to just kind of get yourself in the door, just like, you know, an automotive tech school, like they're not going to train you to go work on high-end vehicles. They're going to give you a basic general knowledge of how cars work and how to fix them. And then when you get to your job, which hopefully that education provides you at, you know, in, in the minimum fashion, it just gets you to a job. Then that's when the real learning begins, you know? So, you know, we kind of see it that way. Like I, I can't teach you how to be an expert anything. Mm-hmm. but I can maybe teach you a few things and then that gets you on your path to, to doing something. And it could just be anybody, right? Like somebody is, oh, I just want to learn how to build a picture frame because I like to do art and I'm an artist and I want to learn how to make my own picture frames. It doesn't mean they're going to go off and create their own woodworking business. It just like, it just gives them like mm-hmm. a couple of basic, you know, tools to then do their own thing, you know? So it, it can be either or. Right. It can just be a regular person who just kind of wants to do, learn a couple of things here and there, or it can really be life-changing for somebody. They can learn a skill that, you know, they can use to, you know, grow their life the rest of their life. Right. But that's huge. I mean, like, again, yeah, shout out to Armando Reyes and Lake Erie Woodworks and, and all the things that you're doing, because seriously, how many people in this area are not willing to teach people, you know, how many people are not willing to take just that, like, in the grand scheme of things is a little step might feel like a big step for some people that have to put in the effort to teach someone else or to give them that space. But like at the end of the day, you're making a little step for someone that like, like you said, like changes the rest of the their life and the trajectory of, of where they're headed and how, how powerful that is. And then how few people are choosing to do that with their trades that they are, are involved in, you know? And I think about like the different Marty, you had talked about, like development in Erie, right? Like all the people that have money in Erie that are developing in Erie that aren't choosing to pull from local folks because they can pay the money, the extra money it costs to, uh, you know, or, or pay less, I guess, pay less money to hire someone from outside of the city. Meanwhile, we have plenty of people in the city that want to work, that want to do, you know, good and want to, to do something in their community, but are not even given that just like that small first step to learn what they need to learn in order to do this. Um, so I, yeah, Armando, I think you really are, you are fulfilling a huge need. And I know it's just your little corner of, of the world, but what a powerful model role model you are for other people in the area to like, look to. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's not even an individual. Yes, you're impacting individual lives, but at the end of the day, we're all a network, and those individual lives make up our community. So, like, you're doing mm-hmm. the whole community good. Yeah, and that, and again, like that's you know, you know, before when trades were taught in schools, like you know, that was one thing that was great. Um, but even then, there was still a world beyond that. Like there were trade schools beyond that, and and now there still is. And I'm not trying to take away from like you know we have there's several places you can learn and you can be a certified welder and you can, you know, we have a, a technical school here, uh, the Erie County Regional Technical School or something. I, forgive me, I don't remember the name. Um, but like you can learn, 
you know, you can learn carpentry there. You can learn plumbing and electrical and, you know, computer engineering, and they have a automotive program there. Um, but again, it's not near the city of Erie. And it is, there, there is a tuition required to be in that thing. And it is a comprehensive, you know, program where you might have to go for a year or two years. And if you're not the type of person who's like, going to get an education like you know maybe you're you're older and you already have kids and like you're past that time where going to get an education and going to school every day is easy because you still have to work and you still like it's not always the easiest thing to become like certified to be this you know whatever trade it is but um i can see us becoming eventually a place where we do offer more types of that like that's my real like you know, pie in the sky imagination for this thing is that it grows into a place where people can come and get those types of skills where they can, you know, I'm, I'm not going to certify anybody to be anything, you know what I mean? That's not the level of education that we're doing at this moment. Mm -hmm. um, but can we create something like that? Can we create something in the city of Erie that's, mm -hmm. that is a place where people can walk to or take public transportation to that can happen nights and weekends and you know work around people's schedule like is that a possibility for the future and and uh, and maybe they just you know if we work what we do can transfer can translate to other you know local companies and they realize like what we're doing and again, like I, I could imagine us reaching out to local companies and saying, look, we know you need people, right? Like you're every day we hear about how hard it is for you to hire people. What's the basic amount of training that I can offer to somebody? You know, mm -hmm. what are the what are the one or two or three or 10 things that I can train somebody to do mm -hmm. that you will then hire them? Mm -hmm. You know, obviously we're not going to teach them how to do everything. And the fact of the matter is you don't want people who to come in here and think they know everything anyway, because you want to train them mm -hmm. to be the type of employee that you want them to be anyway. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what do they need to know? What, what, what are the basic things that they need to know? What can we show them to then create this sort of pool of people that you can then hire? And, you know, so obviously these are, these are people who are not going to have experience. They're not going to be highly trained and highly skilled, but really that, that falls on the, you know, that's the burden of the employer anyway. Like you need to teach these people how to be really highly skilled. You know, that's your job to teach them that. Because even if you get people who come out of a tech school or a training school, they might have a piece of paper, but just because you went through a class for you, you can make an expert on anything. You know, so what's the difference between them but if we've taken a class nights and weekends and we give them a basic amount of knowledge to then go out and try to be successful with the people who hire them. You know, so... <laughs> things that I think about like how how you know where this can grow to or whatever all at the same time okay. when, you, when you're trying to run a business and raise a family and else. It yeah drives me crazy sometimes but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's exciting though it's exciting to to hear your passion for it it's contagious right like when anyone is passionate about it, it it's contagious it's hard not to get excited about these ideas and yeah and and so i'm i'm excited to see where this grows into next yeah. 
obviously through this conversation and through your work we can see how much you love Erie and like all that you do for it and like your vision for what can be done here and as a fellow transplant I want to ask you this question okay. what makes Erie yours I don't know I think the sense for me it's the sense of of community um you know there I, I always feel like Erie split into like two there's like two different types of people here, right? Like there's the people who are happy with the way things have always been. And like everything that, everything new that comes along is like not welcome or like not, they're not open to. But then there's a whole nother group of people who are like ready to just change everything and like figure out. And I think a lot of it does come from the transplants, right? Because we've, you either have, are from here you go somewhere else and you come back like that's a story that we hear all the time mm-hmm. or there are people who who come here from other places and they're like you know there's a lot of things happening out in the world right now that aren't happening here mm-hmm. and the great thing about Erie is it's kind of a, it's not a real big leap to start to create things on your own you know like I didn't you know I've started this thing from nothing and like I've been able to to grow it. You know, if I was in a bigger city, I would just be one out of another million people doing the same thing, and it it would be hard to do. So, um, you know, here, part of my eerie, you know, the the way that I see it is that, um, you know, we get to be part of this community who really I feel can really make a real change. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if you live somewhere else and you've been somewhere else, you you understand how hard it is to to affect like real change that can affect the entire city. You know, if I lived in Chicago, there's not much that I can do to change the trajectory of the city of Chicago, right? Like that would be a, a pretty daunting task. <laughs> but here, I think like there is that opportunity, right? You know, mm-hmm. so that's kind of my, that's kind of my favorite part of Erie. And, the, and, and the people, like so many different people, um, everybody, I feel like, you, you know, you, you see the work that I'm doing, you're like, well, this is great. You're trying to help the community. But I think everybody I meet, I feel is trying to do the same thing, you know, in their own, in their own way. Um, So yeah, it's good to be part of that community of people. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Armando. This has been an amazing conversation. I mean, as I've said, I think before, like our area, the podcast has allowed me to just hang out with my friends amidst COVID <laughs> when like I just miss their faces. So I'm just glad to see you and talk to you. But this conversation has really been inspiring and I, I'm really excited to share it with folks. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be part of it too. Um, I've, I've been a listener since day one, uh, <laughs> just obviously because I knew you guys and I knew it was going to be awesome. So um, yeah, it was just, I was happy you invited me on and happy to be part of the conversation. Thank you so much for being here, Armando. Where can people find you at and on the socials and in the real world? Yeah, so um, uh, all of my work comes through lakeerywoodworks.com. That's my website. If you're looking for a piece of furniture or something for your house, something we can help you with, um, that's the business website. Um, That's the connection to the Lake Erie School of Woodworking. I haven't set up its own website yet, but it's it's on that website. So lakeerywoodworks.com and you can find information about the school there. Um, and then on social media, pretty much uh, Instagram at Lake Erie Woodworks and Facebook at Lake Erie Woodworks. 
um, that's pretty much all we do. We're starting some YouTube channels on some of the stuff also uh, for the Lake Erie School of Woodworking. I've done these like short videos, like little one minute videos on like what kind of drill bits to use if you're doing different things, like just small little informational things that I try to do. Um, and then also for uh, Lake Erie Drumworks, we have LakeerieDrumworks.com and Lake Erie Drumworks on Facebook and Instagram also. You've been listening to the Art Erie Podcast. Community voices unpacking Erie's baggage and speaking truth to power. You can continue the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Art Erie Series. Funding provided by United Way of Erie and Ember and Forge. Music produced by Light Shadow. We appreciate you for listening to the Art Erie Podcast. Until next time, take care of yourself. Keep fighting the good fight. Peace.